Welcome to OB Wannabes, an educational podcast about obstetrics and gynecology and women's health for medical students and women's healthcare providers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of OB Wannabes. I'm Cassie. And I'm Shelby. And we're excited because this week we're talking to you about menarche. So, uh, Shelby, first off, before we get started and dive into this episode, uh, how you just finished your gynonc rotation, and how was that? Thoughts at the uh, end? Yeah. Um, overall, I really enjoyed it. It was um, honestly one of my favorite rotations so far. I don't know. I just really enjoyed the, the type of cases that they see. Um, as I mentioned in an earlier episode, there's a much wider variety of cases than I expected there to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they do treat ovarian, cervical, and, you know, endometrial and uterine cancers, but they also treat complicated benign, um, you know, conditions. Uh, so someone with endometriosis, they would usually do the surgeries for those. Um, people that have had a lot of past surgeries and need, you know, um, fibroids taken out, for example, mm-hmm. even though those aren't cancerous, um, you know, they, those get sent to the gyne oncologist. Um, so even though I didn't have a general surgery rotation yet, I thought this was a really cool intro to surgery. Um, I enjoyed it way more than I expected. Um, so I don't know, I'm definitely more towards ob now because I enjoyed surgery so much. I think um, my general surgery rotation this month will kind of solidify if I want that to be part of my practice. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, it's a matter of deciding if you want, you know, procedural skills to be part of your training um, because it is kind of a whole other ball game than, you know, the medicine we've been learning the past couple of years. uh, And it can be frustrating, (laughs) you know, even just learning, learning how to tie knots Mm -hmm. is like, a battle for me, but, um, I don't know. I like the environment. Um, the OR, the people are really cool and, you know, supportive. So, but yeah. Um, and obviously it's like a very emotional field to go into. I don't know for sure if I would want to do oncology. Um, mm-hmm. there are, you know, people, there, there are a lot of patients that, you know, they've had a cancer years ago and now they're just being followed. So there's a lot of those cases where it's like, oh, like I've been fine for four years and I'm just here to, you know, catch up with the doctor. Mm -hmm. But then there are those new, you know, either a recurrence or someone that just got a diagnosis and those are really emotional appointments. Um, But I don't know. I think I also am like a pretty good people person and maybe I would do okay in that kind of environment. So anyways, those are just kind of the things I've been thinking about um, and hopefully that's you know, something interesting to consider if someone out there is thinking about gyne-oncology. Um, yeah, it's a really cool field that I I hadn't really thought about until my school assigned me it. So it was great. <laughs> yeah, and I, I know you're saying like having the personality to do that, and it is a tough field, I think. Um, I know when I shadowed a gynonc, not the same, obviously, as being with them for a whole month, but I was with the gynonc. I did one day and saw two patients the entire day and went home and thought to myself, I don't think I can do this because it was, it was just very uh, emotionally difficult. I think mm-hmm. totally. uh, 
doing better with that now. Had some patients this last month who did come in and had cancer and wasn't as um, emotional or I was better able to control my emotional uh, reaction to it, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just me being older and more mature, but uh, definitely something to think about with Gynonk. I think you you have, definitely have the personality that you could do that and really, you know, Thanks. be there and support your patients. You are so passionate about advocating um, for your patients and fighting for them. And I think that that is something that would definitely benefit you in a field like Gynonk if that's what you decide to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And as far as lifestyle, it, it's it was interesting, you know, like they have part office, part surgery. And I I'm sure it depends on the doctor, but they did three surgical days a week and two office days. And then their on-call schedule, even if they were on call, you know, a lot of weekends, um, they don't go in for surgeries as much as maybe a general OB-GYN would, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I have to go in and do a surgery, I mean, a C-section now. Right. Uh, A lot of them, they can, you know, uh, consult over the phone and then plan a surgery for the following week or the following day. So that is kind of attractive since OB-GYN can be very strenuous as far as hours go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Much more demanding. Mm-hmm. But yeah, still a demanding job and uh, definitely giving me more to think about. So good. Yeah. Any any last comments on your general surgery rotation? Um, I was very happy to do it. I kind of did the reverse of you where I did my general surgery last month and now I'll be going into, um, I'm doing urogyne surgery next month or I guess this month. Um, but it was a really great experience still stand by not being super excited about the things I was operating on, but definitely enjoyed the environment of the OR. I enjoyed doing the surgery, um, the surgeries where I got to be a little more hands-on. So when we were doing either open cases or uh, any of our breast surgeries, and I got to be a little more hands-on with those, I really enjoyed that. And uh, it was just, it's really interesting to just to see the anatomy um, compared to when we learned it through, you know, uh, our cadaver dissections and then Mm -hmm. seeing the anatomy in like a living human being is very different. It is. So yeah. it, was, it was definitely really cool to get to have that aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're looking at it kind of at a different angle. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing laparoscopic or if you're watching a robotic surgery, it's like, huh, like it's kind of hard to get oriented. Yeah. I would keep looking over and be like, wait, which way is this pointing? And then try and like in my head be like, okay, am I, am I reverse? What, what mm-hmm. am I looking at this from? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed, you know, that learning experience and, you know, you are like definitely going into OB-GYN. And so having that surgical experience is, you know, really important for going into that. So yeah, definitely. I was, I was also glad that I uh, could handle doing the OR and surgery. I know, like we talked about, you have to make sure that you enjoy all aspects of whatever you choose to go into and, ob is surgical, so being able to enjoy the surgery side of things or at least be okay with having the surgery side of things is important. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, let's get started with this week's episode. So we are talking about menarche. So what is menarche? Menarche is the first occurrence of menstruation. So the very first time that um, a young girl gets her period, uh, that is menarche. So it's part of puberty. Um, puberty 
as begins usually around nine to 10 years old. And you, for women will usually begin with um, the breast development or thalarchy. And then a, usually it's about a year in between the start of each of these. And then, so you start with your breast development and then pubic hair development and axillary hair. Um, and then you start getting the growth spurt and then you'll start your period. Um, usually it's about two to three years after you start developing your breasts. So what happens is that uh, physiologically you're, you need the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis um, to all be intact and start working. So uh, the gonadotropin releasing hormone starts uh, with its, it's a pulsatile secretion of the hormone that occurs, and that leads to an increase in your LH or luteinizing hormone and FSH or the follicle uh, stimulating hormone um, and the release of both of those, which in turn leads to the um, maturation of the gonads and production of sex steroids. And that starts to develop and out over time, and that's what will lead to the development um, of the ovaries and your uterus to start getting ready and start having uh, menstruation. So for most, this occurs uh, around the age of 12 to 13 years old, but it can be earlier and it can be later. There's many factors that influence when you um, start having your periods, socioeconomic status, nutrition, uh, genetics, your race and ethnicity, and also uh, even um, if you are an athlete. So Usually athletes can actually go through periods depending on their caloric intake of amenorrhea when they're not menstruating at all. This That can occur and um, is just due to how much they're exercising and the how much uh, calories they're intaking because you're, the purpose of having your period is because your body's preparing to have a pregnancy. And so if you're usually with athletes, um, your body is telling as being told or it's perceiving that you don't have the nutritional support to be able to um, host uh, a fetus and develop um, and carry a pregnancy. So your body wants to make sure that it's taking care of you. And so during that time, you won't be uh, having your period oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in the beginning, uh, the axis is your um, HPO axis or the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis is immature and it takes some time for it to reach maturity. And uh, that is the reason why in the beginning, uh, tends, your period tends to be a little more irregular. So um, amenorrhea or is the absence of your menses and primary amenorrhea is refers to when you haven't had a period at all. So you never started. Um, this is, uh, something where you would want to go see your doctor if you haven't started your period by age 15, um, but you have started developing your breast and, uh, you know, your axillary and pubic hair. Um, and then there's also secondary amenorrhea, which means that you already had menarche, you had your first menses, um, but it's now you've been at least three months and you have not had a menses during that time. So you would want to go see your doctor in those two situations. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty, of, there's a lot of causes and reasons for amenorrhea to occur, and we'll discuss those on future episodes. Uh, so, <laughs> so in the beginning, your uh, first few uh, periods can be pretty light and irregular, and that's normal um, for it to last only, you know, a couple of days for there to be a long period of time between um, for your cycles uh, before they become more regular. So normally, 
the length of a, your period, two to seven days long is normal anytime in that range. The average is about five days. Um, and usually uh, your flow or how much um, blood that there is is going to vary throughout that. So you might start off heavier and then lighter at the end, or you might start off light and then get your flow becomes heavier and then lighter, or it could stay constant throughout. Um, the average length of the cycle is um, in your in the first year of having your periods, the average length is about 32 days. Uh, but a normal range is anywhere from 21 days to 45 days. And the amount of um, blood that you have, and that's this is something where I remember hearing, oh, it's, you know, a certain amount of this many uh, milliliters of blood. Um, and I always thought, I was like, how are you supposed to, you know, measure that? How do I know how many milliliters there is? Mm -hmm. So something that they say now is uh, instead of thinking about the quantity think of, of blood, think about how many um, products that you're using. So average would be about three to six pads or tampons per day is going to be a normal amount of blood. And again, in the beginning, it's going to vary. You might have um, one cycle that's three days long, and then the next one's seven. And then after that, it's four. It, it's going to take some time before it kind of uh, becomes regular and normalizes. Um, but what's most important is rec keeping track of things. So when you start having your period, you want to make sure you start tracking things. Start um, tracking when you start your period, what day it is, and that way you can start to identify when your period does become regular. And if there's um, any irregularities, anything that changes, you can see that too. Because while I just talked about what's normal, you know, the length and the cycle, and, uh, day length, what's most important to know is that what's normal is what's normal for you. So um, when you're, if you're having a period or if it's your patient, um, maybe this person is normally has, you know, 30 day cycles and all of a sudden now they're having 40 day cycles. Um, and that still falls in that range of normal from 21 to 45 days. But the important thing to recognize is that it's not normal for that patient. So uh, by tracking, there's a lot of, there's apps out there. You can just, you can keep track on a calendar. There's, I know there's a lot of apps that'll help you keep track. Um, and that's just something I think that's uh, good to get in practice for so that you know uh, what your period is like, what your cycle is like. And eventually, whenever you decide that you want to start um, trying to get pregnant, it's something that helps by understanding your cycle and being familiar with that. Uh, there are also things that can that keep you from having a regular cycle. Uh, and we'll talk about those later, too. But if you're able to chart your cycle keep track and recognize it then you can if there's anything that's keeping you irregular um then you can start getting worked up for those and maybe identify any of those early on such as you know pcos um endometriosis can also cause irregular cycles so there's a lot of different things in there um that can cause this so knowing that understanding it and being familiar with your body or helping to teaching your patients how to be familiar with their bodies is really important. And um, as far as the cycles being kind of irregular in length, like 28 days for one, 32 days for another one, how long does it take for someone who, you know, just started their period to kind of normalize that? Yeah, so it can actually take six years or more after you start um, having your periods for your cycle to become regular. Some people, it'll happen quicker. Some people, it'll happen later. It really just depends. Especially um, now, I think it's a little more difficult uh, since you can use uh, 
if you start using birth control um, or any of those methods and that changes your cycle and regulates it for you rather than your body doing it. So that's something that could, um, if maybe if you're having very irregular cycles that you can uh, utilize, but definitely always talk to your doctor about this uh, before uh, trying to do anything on your own. All right. Great question, Shelby. <laughs> Um, so what uh, products do we use? So there's um, many different options uh, out there and there's many different brands out there of different types of products. So it's really important to try and figure out, um, I think, to as a patient or as a woman to figure out what works best for you, what you're comfortable with, um, whatever it may be. So there's pads and there's different types of pads. There's liners that are, you know, more for on light flow days, they have heavier flow ones. Some of them have the wings that you, you know, uh, wrap around. So basically, a pad's basically um, something that you'll put in, you put it in your underwear and you wear it, um, and then you'll uh, change it and whenever you need to, whenever you feel like it. Uh, usually for most women, they'll do it a certain, you know, oh, you know, maybe it's my lunch break and that's when I do it or every so many hours. But like we mentioned earlier, it's important to keep track of how often that you're doing this to make sure that you know um, what, how, if your flow is really heavy or if it's really light or if it's something that you want to talk to your doctor about. Um, there's also tampons, um, which are, will go inside the vagina and then they um, will catch the blood there before um, it comes out. So those are, um, I think, a little more common to use than pads, or at least when, uh, from what I, my knowledge and my gathering is, is that tampons are a little more common to use. Um, they have, again, different types. There's, you know, different sizes depending on what it is, but that's something you're going to want to make sure you keep an eye on. You don't want to leave it in for um, an excessive amount of time. I know I've, we've heard stories of patients who come in and they've had a tampon in, you know, for two weeks um, and forgot to take it out. Or maybe they had one in but forgot and they put another one in. And then the second one was there for a really long time um, because there is, of course, there's always a risk. And you'll read this on the box here uh, of toxic, toxic shock syndrome, um, which is when uh, something that you can develop if there's any bacteria that uh, end up, you know, in the tampon and then end up getting into your um, body system. Uh, so that's something to be aware of as well. Um, and then there's also menstrual cups, which I think are kind of a little newer um, on the scene. Not super new, but they're newer than the other our other options. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely trendier now. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, like a bunch of the, the Diva Cup, I think. There's, you know, Flex. So all these different ones. And um, usually they're they're reusable. So you would use it and then um, yeah it goes inside the vagina as well. And then you, you would empty it out and kind of wash it out and then you can reuse it. So that's another option to use. Again, whatever is comfortable for you or um, whatever you want to try and are okay with doing or whatever works best for your activity level, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The menstrual cups are interesting um, because it does kind of allow you to, you're talking about estimating how much blood loss you have during a period um, they have like little measurement lines on there. So someone could kind of have an idea of how much they're actually losing in a day on their menses. And um, there's definitely a learning curve um, where, you know, 
there's a lot of videos out, out there and stuff and diva cup and some of these other brands actually have you know channels on youtube and stuff mm-hmm. where they teach you how to put it in and how to take it out how to clean it and stuff um i don't know it's interesting but you know the positives of it you know you have a little bit more body awareness you don't have to change it quite as often mm-hmm. there's still a little bit of a risk of toxic shock syndrome but um definitely not as much as tampons and um and they last for a long time like the diva cup i think you can have it for like two years oh, wow. um, yeah so people who like you know start to worry about how much waste they're contributing with you know tampon wrappers and pad wrappers and stuff like that um that's kind of an advantage of it so i don't know it's cool that the, those are becoming more popular and there's some other ones too that I've definitely seen ads for, like um, Flex is the, one. Yeah, and I was gonna say the um, underwear that kind of oh, acts as mm-hmm. sort of a pad, and uh, I think it's called Thinks. Um, but yeah, apparently those are super effective too. So it's cool how it's you know becoming more popular to find like a variety of options. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't know, some people don't like putting something in the vagina, and, right? Or you know, having to worry about taking something out. Mm-hmm. So definitely, lots of options to look into. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's also really great that it's something that in the media that is becoming more um, okay to talk about, and um, rather than having, I still remember when I was a lot younger that they'd have like. Uh, the Playtex tampon commercial and it's like some girl frolicking like with butterflies in the grass and it's for tampons and I was always really confused and now they're starting to have it where like it's more of okay you know this is what you use when you're having your period and a little more uh, realistic and lifelike I think than the frolicking with butterflies. Yeah no one wants to frolic when they're on their period Um, or not it's not typically if you get to frolic when you're on your period, you have really normal periods. Like you must not have any cramps or anything. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Speaking of cramps, what uh, what can we? What do you expect when uh, for the when you're having your period? So you can have uh, cramps are probably I think the most common thing um, or symptom that is talked about and known of. And over fifty uh, percent of women will have. Uh, cramps during their either before or during their period so you can have cramping pain in your lower abdomen um, because uh, when you're having your period your uterus is contracting so you're having the pain from that Um, you can have cramping pains in your back also from the contractions of your uterus Um, you also can have some pain and tenderness in your breasts either before or during your periods Um, this is in response to the hormones that are going through your body uh also affect your breasts so you can have cyclical changes in your breast so um we and we, i think we talked about this when we were talking about uh, breast cancer screenings that there are some cyclical changes that occur in the breasts uh, just in response to the hormones so you might have um nodules or you might feel some lumps or bumps that you know seem to get bigger um during your cycle and then they get smaller and it always seems pretty continuous so that is something that can happen because of your period, but it can also be something that you, if you are uncomfortable or you want to get it checked out, you should. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can you do for these cramps and things like that? You can take ibuprofen, um, exercising can help. Uh, you can use heating pads as well. Uh, it is, um, some pain can be normal, uh, but it can also be a symptom of other things such as um, endometriosis, 
so if it's something that you're concerned about or that you aren't sure about and it's hard because you don't you can't feel anyone else's pain and each person is different so how are you to know if the pain that you're feeling is normal or abnormal so if you if it's something that you know you want to have um know more about, make sure that you're asking questions, you know, uh, don't just say like, oh, well, all women get cramps and all women have this. So this is normal. So I don't, I shouldn't talk to my doctor because it's silly. If you want to, and you think that it's something that needs to be um, checked out, or if it's, you know, a debilitating pain, or, you know, you have to stay home from work or something or school, make sure you're asking questions um, so that you can get the, and any help that you might need and make sure that, you know, you're still able to go about and live your life and maybe one day frolic with the butterflies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking as someone that really struggled with, you know, dysmenorrhea as a teenager and a young adult, I wish I had, you know, addressed it with my doctor sooner because one, I think when I used to hear, oh, take ibuprofen during your period, I thought it was just oh, take it once or twice, see if it helps with your cramps. Um, but actually, like your plan should be if you're using ibuprofen for your period, you start it like a day or two before your cramps start. So kind of knowing when they come on during your cycle, and then taking it around the clock, which I never tried. Um, I went straight to, you know, birth control options. But once I got that on board, I, you know, haven't struggled with them as much since. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I just really recommend that, you know, if you're staying in bed, if you're like not able to do your sport or go to school or work, you know, because of your period, you know, ask your doctor about it because there are options that might help you. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to just uh, struggle. <laughs> yeah. And try and survive. But mm -hmm. we want to make sure that everyone's thriving. So if you are not thriving, and you want to ask questions, make sure you reach out, like you said, um, birth control, there's uh, so many uses for birth control. And we're going to be doing some birth control episodes coming up. But there are so many uses. And one of those uses is to help with um, symptoms of PMS or premenstrual syndrome. So um, any, you know, sometimes uh, mood swings, you, uh, some patients will have mood swings, any bloating, cramping, headaches, nausea, things like that, uh, especially the cramping, I think. Um, and birth control is something that can help with that. And it's not necessarily, it doesn't need to just be used um, as a contraceptive, but can be used for a variety of other reasons. So don't ever feel uncomfortable or um, as a provider, if you're recommending it to a patient, uh, make sure that, you know, you're clear, oh, it's not just used as a contraceptive, but it can really help with all these other things. And a lot of, I think a lot of people use birth control for those reasons rather than um, as a contraceptive as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, in terms of what to expect with bleeding, uh, we mentioned earlier going through about three to six pads or tampons per day. Uh, if you're changing your pad or tampon every one to two hours, or if your menses is lasting longer than seven days, that is considered heavy bleeding. And again, if it's heavier than what you're normal, if you're changing your um, pad or tampon more than you normally would, then that's abnormal for you. And so that can be considered heavy bleeding. So make sure that you're talking to your provider about that. There's a number of things that can cause um, heavy bleeding, and uh, you can 
end up having iron deficiency anemia um, just from the blood loss. So if you're feeling dizzy, uh, lightheaded or anything during your period, make sure you talk to your doctor. Um, and then obviously, so you're having your menstrual cycle. Uh, what's happening when you have your, your, the very first day of your cycle is the first day of your menses. So the first day that you bleed is the first day of the cycle. Uh, and that's going to be there's a shedding the lining uh, that it had prepared. And then like, when your period ends, then you start building up that endometrial lining in your uterus again. And that's preparing uh, for pregnancy. So every cycle, your body prepares for implantation, prepares for pregnancy. So usually uh, ovulation is going to occur in the middle of your cycle. If you're having regular cycles, you'll be a little more familiar with that. It's usually about 14 days before the day of your first, um, the first day of your uh, bleeding. So 14 days before that is usually when ovulation occurs. Um, and I know there's definitely some myths out there that, oh, you can't get pregnant if you have sex while you're um, having your period. And that is not the case. Uh, it is still possible to get pregnant if um, you have sex during uh, the time that you were having your period. Um, another thing is that um, generally uh, you are not ovulating. So you wouldn't, um, your body's not releasing an egg in the beginning uh, when you start having your periods because it takes some time for that cycle to become uh, mature. But you, it is possible that you are ovulating. There's no really way to know for sure whether you are or you're not in the beginning. Um, and so since the ovulation occurs prior to the period, uh, I think it's important to know that even if you haven't had a period yet, uh, if you are um, having sex and you are not using any contraceptive method, there is also a possibility for you to become pregnant if you happen to ovulate and you happen to have sex be right before you're about to have your first period, you just wouldn't have that first period because you are pregnant. So something to keep in mind um, for both of those things, I think is pretty important. Mm -hmm. um, so if you don't wanna get pregnant, use protection, use some uh, contraceptive method uh, and just always be safe. Um, so most importantly, uh, knowing that when you're having your period, what's normal is what's normal for you. Uh, so it's really important to keep track of your period, your cycle length, how much your regular flow is, um, how often uh, it comes, what your symptoms are that you have associated with your period, whether it's before, during, or in the middle. Um, there's uh, something called middle schmerz or the mid-cycle pain that uh, some women will have some intense cramping that occurs. And this is from the ovulation. So the ovary um, follicle is releasing the egg and there's a cramping pain because it's kind of bursting open. So uh, some women will experience that pain in the middle of their cycle. So again, just keeping track of everything as best as you can is really important so that you can be in charge of your own health um, and make sure that you recognize uh, if anything's abnormal. And if it's some, and if something changes for you, but is still within the like what's considered normal, make sure that you're asking about it. And if you um, go to your doctor, or if your doctor and your patient comes to you, and you know you're saying, "Hey, so you know um, my cycle changed to this long, and I'm concerned." Um, as a patient, if your doctor says, "Oh, it's okay, it's still normal," make sure you you tell them, tell them like, no, well, normally this is what it is. So this is abnormal because it's not what's normal for me and make sure that you're asking questions. And as a provider, if your patient comes in and says that something's abnormal, 
listen to them, trust them because they're experiencing it every month usually. Um, so they know when something's not right. Um, and so as a clinician, it's really important to educate your patients um, with talking about menarche and menstruation. You're going to want to talk to both um, the young women who have not yet started menstruating as well as their parents and guardians. Um, there's a, on ACOG, there's a really great uh, link that has um, some information about like the three most commonly asked questions by um, providers and, uh, or the caregivers that for women um, um, that their parents will ask about their daughters in puberty. Um, so being familiar with this, make sure that you're educating the parents as well. Uh, you, there's always opportunities to educate your patients and prepare them. You don't want them to just go on the internet because there's a lot of misinformation out there on the internet, uh, depending on what sources that they're using. And they might just ask their friends who might not have the right answer. And you never know because um, a, a young girl's parents might not talk to her about what to expect. And when she does start her uh, period and starts menstruating, they might not have those conversations with her about what's normal, you know, what to expect, how to take care of herself, uh, whether it's um, the girl's mom or dad or aunt or whoever it is, they just might not be comfortable with having that conversation. So as a provider, that is your job to make sure you're preparing them. So you can start discussing puberty with patients at seven or eight years old, because um, usually they'll start developing breasts um, in the next year or so, so around that time. So you want to just start giving them information and you can continue to build on that. And that way they know what to expect ahead of time so that when it does happen for them, that they hopefully will feel more comfortable to come to you and ask questions that they might have. Another thing that's really important is to start creating opportunities to have time alone um, without the parents uh, so that when the time does come, it's more comfortable and it's easy for your patient to talk to you. Some patients, um, will don't want to have that conversation or ask those questions when their parents in the room because it makes them uncomfortable or it's something they haven't talked to their parents about. So you want to make sure um, that you're creating a, sp a safe space. And as we talked about before, building that trust and that relationship with your patients so that they know they can come to you with whatever they need. Um, and once they do start uh, menstruating and even before, you can start um, educating about birth control, asking them questions and discussing safe sexual practices because, and I know some people um, are on the, uh, have the view that, you know, once you start talking about sex, it's creating that opportunity. But um, I'm of the opinion that it's more important to have the education to teach them about safe sexual practices doesn't mean that they're going to go out and have sex tomorrow because you told them, you know, what a condom was or what birth control was or how sex works. But uh, it's instead preparing them for the eventuality of when they do start doing that, that they have that knowledge because you don't know if they will ever ask questions about it or they will ever be talked to about it. So I think it's important um, to start adding that in and just, again, building that trust, building that relationship and really taking advantage of your role as a provider um, to protect um, and help your patients to be safe. Um, and uh, one other thing to keep in mind is that um, for female patients, you should count their menses as another vital sign. So most important is to always ask, you know, when is when was the first day of your last menstrual period? Um, sometimes that can even help the patient realize like, oh, wait, it's been, you know, four or five months. Maybe we should have a pregnancy test or something. Uh, some people don't keep track, um, but it is important to keep track of it. Um, it can help 
like we mentioned, there's a lot of causes for irregular menses, um, for amenorrhea to occur. So keeping track of your patient's menses and seeing when that was can help you as a provider make sure that your patient is healthy and maybe um, even recognize or identify or diagnose something that's going on with them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And even in non-gynecological settings, it can be important to ask about last menstrual period. You know, if a woman comes in for intense lower abdominal pain, for example, um, you know, of course you worry about appendicitis and, you know, maybe some other GI issues, UTIs and stuff, but ectopic. Uh, you could also ask about it because ectopic pregnancy can totally be uh, a cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I've forgotten to ask about last menstrual period a handful of times. And it's been like, of course, sometimes like a really obvious case, like someone has painful periods. And then, you know, I just have to like smack my forehead. I'm like, how did I forget to ask this? So if you um, you know, kind of generalize it where you always ask, then you won't forget. Um, so little tip yeah, <laughs> for those no. that haven't rotation yet. <laughs> That's really good because it's something that uh, can be hard um, to remember, like you said. Uh, definitely, I even I forget sometimes in OSCEs to ask my female patients, um, partially because I'm never sure when I'm walking in the door, if it's a male or a female patient, because it just depends on who the standardized patient is. Um, And so sometimes I do forget to ask about last menstrual period. Uh, And you should always ask that regardless of the age of your patient, uh, because, and we're going to do a talk on this later, and Shelby's going to teach us a little more about abnormal uterine bleeding. Um, But something is for even after menopause, uh, some women will start having vaginal bleeding again, which is a symptom of the lots of different things that we'll talk about later and we'll learn about soon. Um, but if you ask them about the date of their last menstrual period, sometimes they can be like, Oh, well, I did have some, you know, this bleeding and then you can recognize that and then work that up and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Cassie. This was really well done. And you explained, you know, um, feminine products and, you know, like, the, you know, awkward topics like talking about safe sex with younger individuals and stuff, you explain that all beautifully. So you're going to make a great ob <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, I just, uh, I know that there's, it is, it is an awkward topic um, to, to have. And I know, I, again, talking about, you know, your education in the public school system, I think that we had a, a day in the, the fifth grade, it was every two years on our odd year. So fifth grade was when we learned about, we got separated and I don't know what the boys learned about, but the girls watched a little video and we learned about our periods. And um, we all left with uh, a pad and a tampon with us. So we had that, you know, that we got to watch this video for. So, you know, at least we had education and it was pretty standardized, but even still, um, something I think good for your, as a physician to talk about, um, because like I said, not all parents or uh, caregivers or whoever it may be are going to be comfortable having those conversations or they might not even have the answers. Um, they, you're the, they might not know what's considered normal. So make sure that you're educating as much as you can. I, I know I talk about education all the time, but, uh, so important. And as future healthcare providers for us, we have a huge I think responsibility and obligation to do that for our patients because we have the knowledge and it's our job to make sure that they uh, we pass that on to our patients Mm -hmm. 
So thanks everyone for joining us. Um, next week, we're going to be discussing endometriosis, which is one of the causes of, it can be a cause of dysmenorrhea, it can be a cause of abnormal um, and irregular periods. So join us as we talk a little bit more about that and discuss how to recognize it, what symptoms are, how it's diagnosed and treatment options. Awesome. Can't wait. All right. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next week. We are third-year medical students at Toro University of Nevada College of Osteopathic Medicine, and we are student members of ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and ACUG, the American College of Osteopathic Obstetricians and Gynecologists. The views expressed in this episode are not representative of any of these organizations, and this podcast is not affiliated or associated with any of these organizations.